Hi, and welcome to 7-Minute Opinions, your audio guide to thought-provoking ideas from a variety of the week's writers and thinkers. I'm Matthew Walther, and today I'd like to tell you that the way that we usually talk about freedom of speech is a cartoonish fantasy. Freedom of speech and other forms of expression have long been at the forefront of what we mean when we talk about our freedoms in this country. But we're witnessing a new, and I think very welcome, political development, a growing suspicion that there is some speech that should not be so free. The list of expressions considered unacceptable and recently denied a platform is long. There's the misogynistic obscurantism of hashtag Gamergate. We begin today's show by looking at the violent threats faced by a feminist critic for pointing out sexism in video games. The painfully unfunny parody of stand-up comedy performed by expatriate employer of ghostwriters Milo Yiannopoulos. Feminism is cancer. Thank you very much. And the unabashed Holocaust denial of the detestable racial hate site Stormfront. I think most of us would agree that these people are undeserving of a platform, and it looks like that may soon be the case. Google is the latest to cut off service for the Daily Stormer, leaving the hate website without many avenues left to express their hate. Of course, this was not always the case. There is a long history in this country of making grandiose blanket defenses of freedom of speech. Protection that extends to bigots, frauds, pornographers, people who think that the Holocaust was a myth, people who think that the Holocaust was not a myth, but a very real and very good thing. People who defend these people's rights to say these things call themselves free speech absolutists. Their position has never been tenable, but that doesn't mean it hasn't enjoyed a mainstream currency in the United States, in classrooms and in the pages of newspapers and magazines, and even on the bench of the Supreme Court. But absolute freedom of speech is a cartoonish fantasy. The fact is, there has never been a community in which certain ideas have not been considered close for discussion or debate. The liberal concept of freedom of speech is not some kind of immutable principle woven into the fabric of reality. It is an idea and a very new, albeit frequently misunderstood one. Our tradition of freedom of speech begins with the Puritan poet and pamphleteer John Milton. In his 1642 treatise, Areopagitica, Milton made many arguments that will sound familiar to Americans in the 21st century. Things like, allowing the largest possible number of viewpoints to be expressed publicly means that we have access to more ideas. The task of sifting through a wide range of opinions sharpens our intellects and forces us to refine our own arguments. And actively forbidding certain expressions may lend them a certain kind of romantic credibility. All good stuff, right? But the thing is, Milton had one crucial qualification that almost no one acknowledges. He argues that all speech is acceptable, except any speech that promotes the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church or paganism, or atheism. Brushing this off as mere prejudice or oversight on Milton's part would be a gross anachronism. Milton makes this qualification precisely because Catholicism and atheism were incompatible with the kind of society for which he was arguing. It's true that very few Americans today are interested in setting up a community based on 17th century Protestant notions of biblical morality, but Milton's pamphlet remains relevant. All societies have certain organizing principles. Freedom of speech is not a first-order good. It exists only to facilitate the flourishing of the society along the lines established by those principles. In America today, one of those principles is that discrimination based on race is immoral, 
People who disagree with this have only one goal, to create a society in which racism is accepted. If we do not want to allow this to happen, we should not permit anyone to argue in favor of it. To pretend otherwise and posture on behalf of the abstract rights of racist cranks is not to defend speech, but to demean it, to diminish it to the level of undifferentiated random noise. This is because every act of expression takes place against the invisible backdrop of all the expressions not taking place. Imagine an article in the Washington Post about a murder. The article assumes that murder is a crime, and it would not occur to the reporter to solicit the opinions of a hypothetical man who thinks that murder should not be a crime. To fail to see how any given act of speech only makes sense in the absence of other possible but absolutely inadmissible expressions is childish. Assuming that a new scholarly biography of Hitler and Holocaust-denying memes traded by basement dwellers on the internet are both speech with potentially equal value is not an exercise in tolerance. It is nihilism. Which brings us to the recent decision by GoDaddy and Google to deny the neo-Nazi site The Daily Stormer a home on their web hosting platforms. I have yet to see anyone find fault with this decision, even though it basically amounts to censorship. And this is in itself a good thing. Now, it could be easy to ignore the elephant in the room by calling these decisions private ones made by companies about private things that they own and control. But there are only so many web hosting services. Suppose no one was willing to offer these Hitler fanboys room to air their grievances with African Americans and Jews on the internet. Would it still be okay? Why is it reasonable to pretend that a good thing done by a corporation would be a bad thing if the government did it? It's not reasonable. It's a fantasy. The procedural question of who is responsible for censorship is beside the point. The only relevant one is whether it is laudable. I, for one, am happy that the Daily Stormer is gone. People who agree with me need to ask themselves why they would have found it upsetting if the Department of Justice had shut it down. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Opinions. Look out for new episodes every Tuesday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matthew Walter, and thanks so much for listening.